Today's passage is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. Please take a seat. Uh, let me pray. Father God, we come before you um, humbly, knowing that you are a mighty God, knowing that you are a God who works through prayers. And um, Lord, as much as we think we know about prayer, um, the reality is a lot of us, including myself, we're lacking um, in our prayer life. So I pray that you would teach us how to pray. I pray that you'd motivate us um, to pursue this life of prayer that can change not just our lives, but the lives around us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm, I'm not an expert on prayer. This is going to be our last sermon, by the way, on our series about prayer, Prayer 2020. Um, by no means am I an, an expert on prayer. Um, I'm still trying to grow in my prayer life. Um, there's a lot of things that I want to fix uh, about my prayers. But I do know this. Um, if we as believers, we devote ourselves to prayer. If we pray the right way, meaning with the right purpose and with the right focus. If we can become a church that prays, uh, when we step up our prayers to the level of the early church, then I believe that God can do something crazy through our ordinary lives. No, if, if everything that is spoken about prayer in God's word is true, and if this book is truly the word of God, then it is impossible to live a normal life when you pray. No, it's just impossible. Prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer ought to make a difference in our lives and the lives around us. You know, people work through plans. When we want to get something done, we come up with a plan. God, when he works, he works through prayers. If you read through the Bible, uh, it's not the wise that God uses. It's not the strong that God uses. It's not the people who are in position or who have power that God uses. It's the people who pray it's the people that humbly submit themselves every single day um, through prayer. Those are the people that God chooses. Those are the people that God uses to create history. In today's passage, we get to um, a place where we get this perfect picture of a praying church. And before we jump into today's passage, I think it's important for us to get some context in order to understand today's text. Um, 
going back to Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John. So this is after the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come down, um, and, you know, crazy things hap happened in Acts chapter 2. Uh, people were speaking it in tongues. Uh, people were, were repenting. They were coming to know the Lord. They were believing in Jesus. All these crazy things were happening. And when you come to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they walk up to the temple. And at the gate of the temple, they meet a man. And this man, it's, the Bible says that he's in his 40s, and from birth, he has been lame, meaning that he had um, trouble walking um, in a normal way. He had this condition where he was unable to walk, and therefore, what he could do is every single day, he came out to the temple to beg, to ask for help, to, to receive donations just to survive another day. And so just like this man did and to anyone else, he calls Peter and John. He says, hey, can you help a brother out? And what Peter and John says, well, actually what Peter says is, hey, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold, but I do have the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, you know, rise up and walk. And immediately the Bible says that this man um, felt strength in his feet and his ankles. He leaped up. He began to walk. He, he, he ran um, all over the place. And people are like, what is going on? And there's a lot of people at that time, by the way, because there was a prayer meeting uh, around that time in, in the temple. So people are asking about what happened. And Peter, he stands up and he kind of gives a mini sermon. He says, hey, it's not by my own power. It's not because I said the right words, but simply because I prayed in the name of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus that this man is healed. And by the way, that Jesus is the one who bore your sins. That Jesus is the one who... who died on the cross for you, that Jesus is the one who was promised throughout scripture, so repent, turn back. And it says in Acts 4.4, hearing that message, many people believed, and the number of men who came to know Jesus that day was 5,000. It's not a coincidence, right, 5,000. When, when's the last time we heard that number? It's back when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. You know, these these two disciples, ordinary men, are doing crazy things when, when they are submitting uh, to the power of the Holy Spirit, when they're following the will of God. We, they, they do all these crazy miracles. And after this, you know, what happens is they end up in jail because people were astonished by the miracles. However, the religious leaders said, okay, no, that's not a good thing. No, Jesus, in our mind, he's dead. You know, he was this criminal that, that we put to, to, to death, and therefore we can't have them go around speaking about this resurrected Jesus, right? That is nonsense. Therefore, we need to stop them. So what they did is they put them into jail. The next day, they brought these two men before the council, and they asked them a simple question. Now, how in the world did you heal that man? Because we know from birth that man was not able to walk properly. And Peter, being filled with the Spirit, says in Acts chapter 4, 10, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So before the religious leaders who have the power to persecute and who have the power to kind of even put you know, Peter and John to death, you know, they stand boldly and they preach the gospel, risking their lives. And, and this just silenced the leaders and the people over there. They can't deny the fact that something supernatural happened. I mean, the guy who was healed is standing right there, the Bible says. 
but they still, you know, they were kind of worried that, you know, if they talked about Jesus in public, that, you know, people would get the wrong message. They already created an atmosphere where Jesus is a dead person. So they said, okay, you know, we can't deny the fact that you healed this man, but don't speak about Jesus no more. They say, um, you know, don't go out and preach the gospel, basically. And Peter and John says, well, we can't do that. Because we're, what we're simply doing is we're sharing what we have seen and heard from Jesus. And after further threatening um, these men, uh, they release um, the two disciples from the council. And these people go back to their friends. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 23. And it says, when they were released, they went to their friends, the group of believers, the church, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now notice, in the book of Acts, this is the very first time Christians are facing persecution. Up to this point, everything was pretty good, right? People spent time with Jesus for 40 days. Jesus said, okay, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit come, comes down. So they were in this, this house, you know, locked up, you know, because they're afraid about associating themselves with Jesus. But finally, when the Holy Spirit comes down, they're boldly proclaiming the gospel, and they go out, they share their faith, and the next thing that happens is they face persecution. You know, they face rejection. This is the first time the church, the early church, is facing opposition. And look at how they respond. They don't panic. They don't point fingers at one another. They don't say, oh, like, let's go back to the drawing board. Maybe this is not the plan that Jesus told us. Let's come up with a different scheme. Maybe we have to go underground. Maybe we have to kind of, you know, go out at night and secretly share about the gospel. No, they don't make adjustments. The Bible says they began to pray. Look at verse 24. It says, and when they heard what Peter and John said, they lift their voices together to God. So there are a couple of things I want you to notice about this praying church, the early church. The early church, they prayed first in unity. When they heard about this news, that uh, when people were sharing their faith, they were being persecuted, they were being rejected. Um, instead of saying, okay, let's have a couple leaders figure this out. Instead of saying, oh, let's have a couple life group leaders uh, or, 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 uh, or pastors to come up with a scheme. Every single one of them, they lift up their voice to God in prayer. They're not just counting on the prayer warriors within the ministry. They're saying, hey, let's pray together in one voice. No, prayer brings people together. Not only that, the early church, they believed in the sovereignty of God, the unmatched power of God. Look at verse 24 one more time. In the second half, it says, as they pray, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And, and, and this is an interesting kind of um, way, way to begin a prayer, right? I mean, they just experienced difficulty and hardships in life, yet they are calling God sovereign. And they are calling God, God, you know, he's, they're saying that, God, you are an absolute power. You have all authority in this world. You know, the, the persecution, the hardships, it's not distorting their view of God. Rather, they are trying to understand their circumstance, their situation through their understanding of God. They know that God is absolutely sovereign. No matter what people say, no matter what kind of decision the rulers have made, they know that God always has the final say because he is sovereign. He has absolute authority in this world. So they understand that God is absolutely sovereign. Number three, they are not surprised by opposition nor persecution. They're not caught off guard 
Instead, they begin to quote from Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm written by David. David, he writes uh, about um, the nations, the leaders of, of the world rising up against God's anointed and God. Right? They, they, are, they are coming up with a plan to bring down God. And in, in the psalm, it says that God, he laughs at sitting in heaven. And then he sends his anointed one, and the anointed one comes down and rules the nations with a rod of iron. And so what they're doing is they are not just panicking. What they're doing is they're reflecting on God's promises. They're saying, no, we know that God is sovereign. And this is not something new, by the way. This was spoken in Scripture. No, the Bible is pretty clear, saying that people are going to reject the anointed one. By the way, uh, the, that word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah. Um, in Greek, it's Christ. They are fully aware that people are going to reject Jesus Christ. No, they're not surprised by the current opposition or persecution that they are facing. They know that it's not, God is not surprised by it, and they know that they should not be surprised by it. They go even further. In verse 27, they begin to name names. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, even Jesus' own people, the Israelites, they all rejected God. But what they say, what he, they pray is, whatever you, your hand and your plan have predestined to take place, it takes place. So they are understanding their hardships. They are understanding all the persecution that they're receiving through Scripture. They're not surprised by opposition nor persecution. They continued to pray. And this early church, they were also determined to share the gospel. They were determined to share the gospel. Look at verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. No, and, and this boldness, it's not just general boldness, but you see that it's boldness to speak the gospel. And I, I don't know about you, but I can really use some boldness when I share my faith. You know, uh, every summer I take my um, youth, youth kids to domestic missions to Pittsburgh. And what we do is we hit the streets. We go up to strangers. We share about our faith. Uh, and I, I remember one year, there was a sixth grader. Um, and normally we pair or uh, pair people up. We have groups of three uh, that go out because, you know, we want to make sure uh, no one's alone when sharing the gospel. Um, and then this guy, he raises his hand. He says, Pastor James, I want to go with you. And I'm like, what is this guy up to? Right? Normally what I do is I send everyone out and I take photos. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not worried at all, you know, when I go out hours because someone has to take the photos. And these kids pay for the mission trip. I didn't pay for the mission trip, right? I'm there to supervise them. So I want to make sure that they're safe. So I walk around with my camera, spying on them from a distance because I have a great lens. And so, and, and, and that, that was my plan. But this sixth grader, he says, you know, Pastor James, I want you to, I want to see you share the gospel. I think that would give, give me confidence. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, at that moment, my heart was like beating like crazy. It's not that I had to share the gospel, but it's the fact that I had to share the gospel to prove a sixth grader wrong, to show that I can share the gospel and someone can come to know Christ, you know, uh, that it's not something that's an exercise that we do, but actually people are interested in having a gospel conversation. That's what I, I, I had to prove. That's what was at stake. Um, and I remember I prayed like crazy as I was walking. Um, 
and 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 we end up you know talking to this one guy for about almost almost an hour the entire time and it was a great great conversation and 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 i remember that sixth grader at the end you know he was very disappointed uh, because the gospel the conversation went really well he was like oh man i, I wish you were rejected <laughs> uh, right um but it takes a lot of courage to share your faith it takes a lot of boldness you know you could have attended church for years and years you maybe you can recite the gospel from start to finish maybe you know the four spiritual laws maybe you can go through the wordless book maybe you have different tracks that you can lead people through but at the end of the day the reason why we really don't share our faith is not because we don't know how to it's because we're scared a lot of times it's because we are ashamed it's because we're scared about what other people might say we're scared of rejection and what we do is we pray to God that he would change his plan and a lot of times when we want to lead someone to Christ how do we pray we pray God open an opportunity for me a comfortable setting where I don't have to do anything that just person that person just knows the truth right and all I have to do is would you like to accept Christ into your heart that's all I want to say Right? Or just give me, yeah, this, you know, I don't want to do anything out of the norm. You know, I think that's weird, awkward. I don't want to, you know, bend my relationship with this person. You know, I, God, you do everything. And I'll just sit back. And if I have to, you know, go through the ABCs of, of sharing the gospel, I'll do it. But no more than that. The early church, they didn't ask God to change his plan. They didn't ask God to change the mission. Rather, they understood the mission was fixed. They understand their, the purpose uh, for their lives was fixed. So they prayed. They asked for boldness. They said, God, I know this is a big task, and I'm scared. I'm afraid of persecution. I'm afraid of rejection. This is not easy. Won't you help me? Won't you give us boldness? You know, give us all boldness so that we can continue to speak your Word, a praying church asks for boldness when it comes to sharing the gospel. And the next thing that we see is the early church, they prayed big prayers. Look at verse 30. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, meaning God, you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So people, they believe that God can do some, some crazy stuff. They believe in signs. They believe in wonders. They believe in healing. They are praying that God will do big things, that do things that are just out, out, of, out of the norm, do things that we are not even expecting. They're praying big prayers. And I wonder sometimes if the problem of our prayer life is that we just pray boring prayers. You know, in Christ, God gives us this privilege to pray to him at any time about anything. You know, he gives us the right as, as sons and daughters to call upon his name. He gives the, us the name above all name that he says that, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is an amazing, amazing privilege that we have 
that the fact that we can call upon the living God and that he hears us, that he cares what we have to say, that he's willing to listen to us. Yet a lot of times our prayers are so small. God, help me with good grace. Uh, God, I need a raise. Um, God, uh, my big toe is hurting. Can you, can you fix that? Um, uh, God, I don't like my boss. Can you give me another boss? Uh, I'm not saying that those things are not important. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't pray about those things. But if all that you're praying is about those things, those small things, I mean... How boring would that be to God when he has given you all the authority in the name of Jesus Christ? Imagine, you know, Timothy grows up, let's say, and he's about to turn 16, right? And I, I'm, I'm so excited for his birthday. and I, I, I'm so proud of him as a son. And I tell him, uh, son, you know, I'm so thankful that you, you, you lived a life so far and that you've been such a blessing to my life, um, to my, our family. You know, I just want to bless you this birthday. What do you want? And Timothy says, well, uh, Dad, I want a slice of pizza. No, and, and I, do you think I'll be like, oh, that's great. No, I won't do that. I'm going to be like, a slice of pizza? I mean, I, no, no, I'm, I'm saying, what do you want for your birthday? No, I want to bless you. No, I, no, you have been such a blessing to me. No, I have the power to do some, buy you some stuff. I can't buy you everything, but I have the power to buy you some stuff. And what Timothy asks is, no, I, I want a slice of pizza. You know, in my mind, I'll be thinking, but I give you pizza every day. You know, we eat pizza at least three times a week <laughs> right now, right? <laughs> How much more pizza can you take? No, in, um, in Matthew 6, what Jesus says is this. He says, do not be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Uh, the Gentiles, they worry about those things. And your heavenly father, he already knows all your needs. Uh, you don't have to ask for pizza. He is going to provide for your next meal anyways, but it says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God didn't give us the power of prayer to pray for a slice of pizza. He gave us the power of prayer so that the gates of hell could not prevail the church. He said that whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosened in heaven. Whatever you bound on earth, it will be bound on heaven. I give you the authority to change history if you pray to me. Now, a lot of times, we are af even afraid to, to reveal our real prayer requests, you know, uh, in our life groups, uh, in our small groups, or any other gatherings. Um, we make sure the prayer request that we share is not too big. Because we want to make sure that people don't get disappointed when it doesn't come true, right? Um, a lot of times we think so little of God, so little of his power, that we are afraid to ask for big things. But church, I want you, you to remember our God is a big God. And he is asking us to pray big prayers. Not just praying for yourself, but for the people around you, for those who are in need, for the kingdom of God. For a broken world, you have the power to pray over those things. Everything that you need, God has. You know, everything God wants you to do, everything that God plans 
to do through you, he will do through prayer. So pray big prayers. So the early church, they prayed in unity. The early church, they believed in God's sovereignty. The early church, they were not surprised of opposition and persecution. Rather, they prayed for boldness so that they can share the gospel. They were determined to share the gospel. And they prayed very big prayers because they believed in a big God. And what about us? No, and this is how God responds to a praying church. And look at verse 31. It says this. And when they have prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So through a supernatural event, God confirms that he listened to the prayers of these people. You know, by the ground shaking, every single person was filled filled with the very presence of the Holy Spirit. They, they were controlled under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They have this supernatural boldness in them so that they can go against any opposition or any rejection to share faithfully the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit just took complete control over these lives. You know, and as a result, you know what happened? People who were just gathered in Jerusalem, they move out. In the midst of persecution, they move out to Samaria, they go out to Judea, they go out all the way to Rome, to the ends of the earth. And now, you know, there's, it's hard to go to a place where there is not a single church in a specific region. You know, there's so many churches and believers in this world. Why? Because people prayed to a big God. The early church, they grew in number, they grew in maturity. They've seen crazy things happen through their prayers. The early church, their prayer was completely dependent on God and his power. And as a result, they have seen lives being saved, changed, and God's glory was magnified um, through the church. So how can we become a praying church? What's, what are some practical ways that we can kind of mimic this early church, I think the first thing that we can do is we can pray big prayers. Um, instead of praying just, you know, small things that we can even take care of, a lot of times, you know, I go around my Bible study class or share prayer requests with my Yuku students and they share uh, how, you know, they need better grades. They share how, uh, you know, they need to turn in this assignment, you know, pray for me. And I just tell them, you just work on your assignment. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm going to pray for you, but a big part of your assignment is that you need to put in the work. You know, uh, a lot of times I think we pray for things that we don't really care about. Uh, but, you know, understand that God has the ability to do something beyond our, your imagination. Pray big prayers. You know, believe in a big God. Here's the second thing. We need to pray kingdom prayers. And what I mean by kingdom prayers is this. In Matthew 6, Jesus begins to teach his disciples how to pray. He says, he, he goes through the Lord's, Lord's prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, the ev from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And a lot of people take this and they say, okay, maybe this is almost like a spell. 
It's like a way that we can get God's attention. If we just say these words, you know, God is going to listen to us. But that's not really the case. What Jesus is saying is this is the pattern of prayer. This is how you ought to pray. And then what is the pattern? It's really simple. I think if I can summarize, if I, if I were to summarize that prayer in one word, it would be this. Kingdom. It begins with God's kingdom. God, our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And how does it end? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And in the between, you do pray for their daily bread. In between, you do pray for your, the forgiveness of your sins, that, that you be able to forgive others as well. Well, I think what Jesus is trying to teach there is, hey, when you pray, pray with a kingdom mindset. You're not just an individual praying to God. You're part of God's kingdom. If you are a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, each member does not pray according to their own mind or their own will, but they have to submit to the mind of Christ, the headship of Christ. And what is Jesus interested in? He's interested in saving souls. He's interested in advancing the kingdom. And I think a lot of times what we do is we are so fixated on our personal issues that we lose sight of God's kingdom. And so as a church, I think what we need to do more is pray for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And a practical way you can do this, even in your life groups, you know, if we are spending more time sharing about our prayer requests than actually praying, I think there's an issue. Uh, I, I think if we are pray, all praying for different things, different things in our lives, I think there's an issue. Uh, the early church, they came together, and what they did is they set aside their own agenda, and they took up God's agenda. And in one voice, they cried out, God, we, we want to be used by you. Give us boldness. Give us your spirit. Fill us. No, we want to see you move in power. We want your kingdom to be expanded in this world. You know, we, we don't want just our, our lives to be changed. We want our families to be changed. We want lost people to be changed. We want our classmates to be changed. You know, our coworkers to be changed. We want you to move in power. Your kingdom come. No, in John 14, 12, Pastor Danny kind of mentioned this last week, but Jesus says something crazy. Every time I read that verse, I'm like, how in the world, you know, Jesus, did you, uh, no, can we live up to this? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That's a very high calling. He's saying, hey, whoever follows me, my disciples, not only are you going to be like me, but you're going to do more than me. But even in today's passage, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, when he healed a lame person, a person who could not walk, he couldn't walk for 38 years. Uh, Peter and John, they healed someone who couldn't walk for over 40 years. They upped Jesus. <laughs> right? uh, I'm pretty sure the early church led more people to Jesus than Jesus himself. You know, in many ways, you know, the early church did more than Jesus. Why? Because they were powered uh, by Jesus. They had the spirit of God working in them. And it, was just, it wasn't just one person now. It was thousands and thousands of people. Many Jesuses going out, accomplishing the work 
of God. You know, I share this a lot of times with my leaders, my youth group uh, teachers, and, and different occasions. Uh, but there's, there was a, a short clip that really transformed uh, my prayer life recently. Um, and it's a clip by Francis Chan. And, and even till this day, um, it just almost just changed the whole direction of my ministry. Um, there are a lot of times that I pray to God and ask God, God, why isn't that person changing? You know, why isn't that person coming to know you? And Francis Chan, in one of his sermons, he shares this. He was speaking to a group of youth leaders, youth workers, and he was saying this. Uh, how many of you have gone to the graveyard before? And everyone, you know, they've been to the graveyard before. And so Francis Chan, he asked the crowd a question. So um, if I took to you, you to a graveyard and asked you to raise a dead person, how would you do it? Would you bring pizza? So it's to make a good, to have good fellowship. Would you show a good, great video or a convincing message? Would you play? How would you do that? The answer is you wouldn't do anything normal to raise a dead person back to life. It would have to take something supernatural, right, for a dead person to come back to life. And he asked the question, then why are you trying to raise spiritually dead people through food, through good messages, um, through different resources, rather than something supernatural. Do you have someone who's lost in your life, someone that you love, you've been praying for them for a long time, or you've been trying to share the gospel with them for a long time, and they're not being moved? Maybe it's time to change your strategy. And I was convicted of this because I was throwing a lot of pizza and food at our youth kids. <laughs> and what I realized is I spent too much time figuring out a strategy rather than spending time on my knees in prayer. That just changed the direction of my ministry, knowing that the task that is given to me is far beyond my ability, and therefore I need to get on my knees and pray. And without the filling of the Spirit, without His power, controlling every part of me, there is no way I can live up to what God called me to be. And church, if you are just planning to live a steady, safe life, you don't have to pray, honestly. Um, there's a lot better ways to pursue that. But if you want to live a life that's fulfilling, a life that God designed in a way that God designed you to be, a way, a, a life that's honoring to the Lord. If you want to live a life that's worthy of God's calling, then you and I, we need to pray. And we need to seek the Lord. Uh, one, one pastor said this, um, he doesn't know everything about a car, but he drives a car anyway. We don't know everything about prayer, but we pray anyways because we know that it works. Let's pray.